Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, a podcast where eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers can get real. Thanks for joining me. Consumed is sponsored in part by Slow Life magazine. Over the past several years, I've written the food column for Slow Life, and I've covered many, many different restaurants and dishes here in Slow County. Some of my favorite subjects have been fried chicken, educational dining, and I even recently wrote about the free bread at three different local eateries. Slow Life is much more, though, so get your hands on a copy every other month. To find out how, visit slowlifemagazine.com. Gray Hartley and Frank Ostini have been friends since 1976, when Gray dined at the Hitching Post restaurant in Casmalia and helped Frank in a moment of need. Through their adulthood and through Gray's longtime fishing career through the early years of Santa Barbara wine country, Frank and Gray remained friends, helpers, and eventually business partners. Today, Frank owns and operates the Hitching Post 2 in Buellton, California, which is a high-end barbecue restaurant with a cult following. And Gray and Frank make wine together under the Hitching Post label Hartley Ostini Wines. We sat down together at the Hitching Post 2 and discussed the origins of Gray's immutable hospitality, the fateful day Frank learned how to barbecue on his own, and the impact of the Oscar-winning 2004 movie Sideways, which features the Hitching Post 2 and Hartley Ostini Wines prominently in the plot. I've known Gray a long time, so this is a really fun chat for me. Okay, here's my conversation with Frank Ostini and Gray Hartley. <laughs> sure. I'm sitting here with um, Frank Ostini and Gray Hartley, and we're in the dining room at Hitching Post 2 in Buellton. And um, yeah, I think we're all perhaps a little bit tired. I think, well, I, I'm speaking for myself just done a lot of stuff in the past 48 hours and because it's harvest i'm sure you have too yes and uh we're on we're all in good company being tired yeah yes yeah yeah we um of course harvest is a time where things are so exciting and you just go 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 Mm -hmm. and you don't really feel tired because it's all so exciting there's so much work to do and there's so much complexity involved that you just keep you just keep going and it keep, yeah. you know, and then when it's all over and I have to come back to reality, to running the restaurant again, Do you to kind of come down, picking up the, yeah, there's a, it's like, um, it's like, I think it's a lot like when, uh, mothers have children and yeah. the aftermath of that business, yeah. we, and we, um, postpartum harvest. Is that what you're talking but, uh, about? I'm I sure think, there is though. <clears throat> I think it's a lot more fun uh, what we get to do and and uh it's never like we need to f- you know we can't we can't do this until we forget all that we went through like i mean yeah. i think childbirth sometimes is one of those things you you just you have to forget what you went through to mm. do it again as far as it's i can haze. tell um uh, you know we have so much respect for mm. our yeah. wives and the women that yeah. that, that do that for humanity um well and now but, grandchildren grandchildren six of them yes wow yeah. six that's crazy somebody's been busy yeah right um gray i've known you were just trying to figure out i mean it has to have been i don't know 35 years something like that. easy 35 yes yeah. certainly i've known your parents for 40 years plus yeah and i i know that 
you miss them and they miss you. I don't care about cell phones going off. It's all good. Um, supposed to turn your cell phone off, sir. Uh, I blew it. So Whatever. <laughs> it's harvest. It's nuts. It's swiped. Um, so you, though, when I met you, when I was, you know, aware of adults having jobs, um, you were a fisherman, salmon fisherman up in Alaska. And that's what you were for decades. Yeah, for 28 years in Alaska and then 20 years here in California, I fished commercially. Yeah. Uh, started in Alaska when I was 21 on a sane boat. I bought a 47 Plymouth for 50 bucks, drove to Alaska, got a job on a boat, liked it, and uh, kept going back and then realized after my third season that maybe I could uh, make a living doing this. And mm-hmm. so I set out to fish for six to eight to ten months a year and saved my money to buy a permit, which also allowed me to buy a little house in the Pomo. And mm. Actually, I, my first purchase was a house right behind the Hitching Post restaurant in Casmelia. Really? Yeah, I went out there and bought a little house for $15,000. The owners wow. carried the house payment, mm. and my payment was 150 a month. Wow, that's not happening anymore. I uh, know. You never lived there. I never lived right? there. No, I just, because you were fishing ten months out of the year. Yeah, basically, well, it was a piece of income property. It was my first first purchase. So. Mm. Do you still have that? Uh, no, I sold it. Okay. Yeah, okay. It, it paid for itself in seven years, and and after fourteen years, I sold it and and uh, tripled my money. Yeah, right. <laughs> Smart from the beginning, but you didn't grow up here. No, I grew up in uh, La Crescenta, in the foothills of the Angeles National Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, was born in Glendale, and um, moved up there when we were five. Yeah. Yeah. Moved up to Glendale when you were five. Moved up to La Crescenta. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like growing up? You have. Oh gosh, it was idyllic. You know, we had this uh, cul-de-sac that we lived on. At the end of the cul-de-sac was just open uh, fields, and from Verdugo Mountains up to the top of the Angeles Crest was all wide open and we could hike mm. and catch rabbits and snakes and squirrels and it was just wonderful childhood and mm. wonderful but, place to grow up but fishing wasn't in your no, dna I, or anything I, I didn't fish and the only, the only thing i got close to in the way of fish was mrs paul's fish sticks <laughs> <laughs> not very close at all really no that's as close as i got yeah, yeah. did you ever run aground when you were or have you multiple times? I just I spoke with another fisherman earlier this yeah. week, and he had some harrowing oh, stories. Oh, I've got harrowing stories, but not running aground. Although, I might mention that I did touch bottom. Oh, did you? On a couple of occasions. Yeah. Once on soft bottom, one on a little harder bottom. <laughs> but nothing more than a good gash on the keel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good gash being maybe a three-quarter of an inch deep by three foot yeah so i lucked out yeah yeah Yeah. when did you meet frank in 1976 i had finished my fifth or sixth day of working 10 or 12 hours remodeling and came into the hitching post restaurant in casmelia i couldn't take the wonderful smells coming from there anymore so on a sunday night i went in and i sat down and i'm having a wonderful chicken dinner i had dinner there last night Frank. Did you? And you I had told dinner I, at the Casmelia Hitching Post. Gray was making a wine delivery. <laughs> oh yeah, for yeah. us, uh, they yeah. buy our wine. And my brother came and met me. We had dinner. But back to the story: how I met Frank. I'm enjoying my meal, and I noticed a couple, uh, t- two tables away, who were finishing 
Well, no, they weren't finishing their meal, but they were getting ready to leave. They were putting their coats on and their sweaters, and they hadn't finished their drinks, and their steaks weren't but half done. Really? And they were keeping an eye on the hostess and the waitress, and I called the hostess over, and I said, keep an eye on that table. Mm -hmm. They're going to run the check. Oh, and you could smell it coming. I could see it because I had a couple of buddies in high school that used to do that all the time. <laughs> and body language. <laughs> so Casey went into the back and saw uh, Frank, who I hadn't even laid eyes on yet. Mm. And they booked for the front door and their Volkswagen was parked stern to the front door. So they ran out. I followed him out, and I wrote down the license number on my hand. And when Frank came out a few moments later, as they were driving off, I said, here it is. It's a black 59 Volkswagen. Here's the license plate. So that's how I met Frank in, oh, in October funny. of 1976. Did you catch him? Well, in those days, you could actually turn something like that into the police, the local sheriff's department, and they gave me an address. Oh my gosh, I, did you go? I went to their, and they lived in an apartment in Santa Maria. Yeah. And uh, I, I recognized the vehicle from the description sitting in front of the house. I went and knocked on the door. I recognized the couple from Gray's description of them. They were young. Um, and I said, I was holding the check. Uh, it was $42 plus change. Yeah. And I said, listen, you were at my family's restaurant on Sunday night, and you um, neglected to pay. You left without paying. And this is, I have your, your bill. You owe us $42. Yeah. And they just looked at me and said, so? No. You, can you imagine? You never got 42 something from I never them? got, I never got any money. I, I was speechless. I couldn't, like, I didn't know what to say. I, I was appalled yeah. that anybody would would just think they could just say so what you know you know sue me or whatever you know it's just it, it I the just, gall we just don't know people isn't that funny i thing? mean we have mostly most of our customers pay yeah. willingly yeah you know they come anticipating that they will pay, pay. in exchange for food yeah, yeah. and service and yeah. then they they come back again they're more than welcome yeah these people weren't welcome and I didn't have a rock to throw through their TV. And well, no, but you got something out of it, which is you met great. You got that, yeah. boy. A forty-year yeah. friendship, partnership that that uh, developed into things you you know you would never believe. And at that at that point that night, we uh, we sort of um, met each other. And I remember standing right out in front of the hitching post and saying, "Yeah, me and Casey, we live in this house across the street." which was just a shack. It was a three-room uh, cabin, basically. And what was I thinking? I moved my, from UC Davis to come work. Is that my, where you went? I saw I that went, you came after to, college. Yeah, I went to UC Davis. I studied environmental planning wow. um, and got a, a, a Bachelor of Science degree in that, in that field. Uh, there wasn't any work to be had without going to grad school. Mm. I remember I was... Six thousand dollars in debt, mm. and that seemed like um, a massive yeah. fortune to me at the time. I'm never going to pay that off. Yeah, so I'm thinking I'm I'm gonna you know not go to grad school right away, and I was a little insulted by the school when they said you know there's no jobs for for mm -hmm. this education that you've paid for, and I was very serious uh, about 
learning. Uh, I, I didn't go to college. I went to junior college in Santa Maria, mm-hmm. Allen Hancock College, for two years. I'd recommend community college to totally, anybody. Totally. I just think it makes so much sense. Yeah. And, and college education is so expensive nowadays. Yeah. My daughter um, graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University as, with an art degree, and she kind of regrets not going to community college first just because yeah. it was uh, so expensive. And she, we were lucky enough to be able to support her through that. And, uh, and she doesn't walk away with a lot of debt, but she also understands exactly what it, what it costs. Anyway, yeah. um, I took a couple years off before I went to the four-year school and uh, studied really hard there, but didn't. So I was coming back to uh, work in the family restaurant. My brother um, was running the business for my father. Um, my mother and father were retiring. Um, my uh, my parents bought the original Hitching Post and Casmaya the year I was born, 1952. Wow. And what an unlikely, I mean, it's kind of a, a miracle story that this place has just, you know, in Casmalia, it's just succeeded in every possible way. Hard La- to believe. Last yeah. night in Casmalia, the place was packed. Yeah, I believe packed. it. Packed. Packed. You couldn't get another sardine on a Wednesday in the night. house on yeah. a Wednesday night, and they were stacked up like cordwood, trying to, you know, get a room. Most of those people had reservations, but people were enjoying themselves yeah. and staying. And my goodness, I had to wait forty-five minutes, hmm. and then barely, even you. And, well, <laughs> no, and, and I almost didn't get a. I almost didn't get a table. <laughs> the hostess said, "Ma'am, maybe you'd like to eat at the bar." Yeah. Yeah. I love eating at the bar, just, for the record. You know, yeah, your readers or your your listeners wouldn't know. Casmalia is uh, <laughs> 12 miles from anything. I mean, there, yeah. there's nothing out. It's it's 10 miles from Vandenberg Air Force Base, but um, that's mostly military, military people. 15 miles from the 101 freeway. It's just out in the middle of the country. And the fact that... that you could carve a business out there and, yeah. and granted in the fifties, there wasn't much business. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, um, or much of a town. I mean, I imagine who, who, well, how do you get found out when you're starting a restaurant out there? Well, um, it was a steakhouse for five years before my parents got it. Mm. So it was somewhat recognized, uh, but, um, it was right near, it wasn't Vandenberg Air Force Base at the time, it was Camp Cook, an army base. And that base, that army base was closed after the Korean War. And hence there was no economy right then. And it was a struggle for the early years for my parents. Vandenberg Air Force Base was started, a lot of missile programs coming into there. And there's a kind of a, a boom and bust economy that happens when government, the government would spend... Uh, money on missile programs. I remember in the 60s, the, um, they were gonna shoot men into space out of Vandenberg on something called the Man Orbital Laboratory involved with the Gemini space project. Mm-hmm. So there was the Mercury mm. space project, then the Gemini, and then they were gonna do this manned orbital laboratory and it was all gonna, that was gonna go out of Vandenberg. So we were gonna yeah. have manned shots from Vandenberg. And then 
President Kennedy decided we were going to go to the moon instead, and they scrapped the whole program, mm-hmm. so nothing ever happened at Vandenberg as far as manned space flight. Mm-hmm. And then again, later on, the space shuttle, In matter of fact, when we decided we were going to open our restaurant here in Buellton, a lot of it had to do with the fact that the space shuttle was coming to Vandenberg, and it was going to launch in 1986, 87. Right. Um, and six months before we opened this restaurant, the Challenger yep. disaster happened. Yep. And that all of a sudden there wasn't enough vehicles, space vehicles, to have a second place to launch mm-hmm. in Vandenberg. So they canceled that program. My dad, just for the record, was working mm-hmm. at Vandenberg and lost his job because of the Challenger. And I remember sitting in the Santa Maria Library during story time and somebody came up and said, uh, came up and told the person reading, you're not gonna believe this, but the teacher and you know all of the stuff that went with that but yeah, yeah it affected a lot of people i know and development in santa maria was going crazy yeah both times for space race stuff and yeah. then got shut down yeah so i grew up in a business that was um very marginal in the early days and there would be boom times and we i saw my parents work so hard and i had no desire to follow in their footsteps. I, they, my father did repairs. He taught me plumbing, electrical. Um, I, I do those things minorly and help the restaurant continue to run. You're a bit, you're a bit, uh, I would say you don't do it minorly. I think you do a lot around here mm. all the time, just like I imagine your dad did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hands but on. you know, I actually have a partner in my wine business that right. ends up helping me in the restaurant business and who's a real carpenter mm. and has done real electrical and that would be gray. And right. so I, 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 I say I take a minor um, minor role in those things, but together we oh, often together, are, uh, goes, together we're something else. We're, <laughs> he's, Frank says, "Come in, I need to get this squared away." So he says, "What do we do?" And I, I give him an idea, and he has an idea, and I go get tools, and we get together, and we there's four hands going at this, and left-handed Frank in his right mind, and right-handed Gray in his is that true? Left yeah. mind. Yeah, so yeah, we are. To, to you get, do work there's together. really very little we can't make happen yeah. by hook or by crook, that's for sure. Yeah. You can't imagine the number of things that oh. we've done temporary repairs. 20 years. That are 10, 20, <laughs> even 30 years yeah. uh, running and still working. Um, nice. You know, it's... It's a, there's a lot you can do with duct tape and spent uh, uh, wire hangers and no. and prayers. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. my God! It's, no chewing gum. Neither one of us <laughs> chew good. gum. So. That's good. So you've helped in the restaurant then a lot. Has it been since 1976? You kind of kept coming back. You know, I I I worked out in Casmelia with my brother doing some repairs and some remodels and I've got to tell you that this. So Gray Hartley, who was always a fisherman in Alaska, and he'd go away for the summer and come back, and then he'd he'd just tool around and do odd jobs. He was a carpenter. And so he did come and do work in the restaurant. And then he also had a crab uh, a crabbing business um, in in California here that he ran these crab boats and and he'll he'll tell you he'll tell you about that, but when he was working in the restaurant as the carpenter, he would answer the telephone 
um, and take reservations. Of course you and, would. Like I can picture this. Yes. And I, yes. And I would look at Gray and go, Gray, you are in the wrong business. Yeah. You belong in the hospitality business. Those crabs, they don't understand you. <laughs> they don't get it. Because there's, you know, there's not a lot of hospitality in catching the crabs, yeah. you know. I guess there is when you have to get around to selling them. But, yeah. um, boy, I was encouraging him to find other he was so, and so he melded right in to uh, to our business. That yeah. uh, to this day, he 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 hangs out and does work and uh, is it's, involved it's here. About, it's all about people, you know. Mm-hmm. People are a, a real treasure, and for folks to come in, call, stop by, for the first time or for the fiftieth time. It's such a joy to experience and share with them what Frank's done and his family has done in the restaurant, what Frank and I have been doing in the wine business. It's so much fun during Crush to be making wine. We're like kids at Christmas. We're giddy. And we're running around doing all this. And then it's uh, it's almost like you get a little bit sad at the end of Crush because... Now all that's done, and now we can just rest and watch, watch the wines uh, mature in the barrels. But to share what we've done and to share what we do with others is one of my greatest joys, yeah. truly. Yeah. And, I, and I really enjoy sharing with people. And that's obvious. I mean, when you are at a tasting or you know some kind of event it's very clear but also just knowing you on a personal level when it's easter and our families get together you are you're a gentleman and hospitable and that's just who you are where does that come from do you think my parents yeah yes my father was very um funny he was extremely talented that gentleman my father did carpentry and remodeling and plumbing he built our house in La Crescenta. He did masonry. Uh, he was a master mechanic. There wasn't anything he couldn't fix. He'd hear a car going down the street and he'd say, well, that guy's number two cylinder's got a burnt oh, valve. My. People would bring things over to him and say, Bernie, can you help us? Uh, at any rate, my dad was very talented in that matter. He was very personable. Mm-hmm. He was very loving of people too, so that's where I believe I got that. Mm-hmm. And my mother was very compassionate. Uh, as well so that's where I Hmm. get my that's the heritage yeah yeah and do your kids do you see that oh absolutely playing out with them yeah absolutely yeah because at least two of them are in the wine industry are all three um no two Emily is uh, married to Aaron Walker of Pally Wines right Uh, my son Dana is a painting contractor that's right Weston is making cider for Bristol Cidery very cool. Paso, yeah. Yes, but I there's a it. wine angle to that too, right? That, yeah. that company is a winery mm-hmm. besides a cider. Right. Lone Madrone. Lone yes, Madrone. right. Yeah. Same guy with um, Tablas Creek also. That's correct. Right? Yes. Um, so when you, well, I want to hear about Buellton also. So how did that but develop? You know what? Before, I, I have a question for Gray. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've never, Yay, all these years, I've never you. really um, asked this question, but as far as you telling your story of going to Alaska and and seeking work, and I think you were seeking adventure, or oh, yes. well, you know, and so there wasn't um, the fishing angle. Was that something that you thought about or knew there was potential opportunities up there that would take you that far, or or were you just adventuring? First off, it was an adventure, but the 
I sat down with a friend, Matt Place, and wrote down some goals, and they were to leave and go do something, either Australia or Alaska. I gave up Australia because it was too far. I bought a 47 Plymouth and drove to Alaska, but Tom White uh, had gone up the year before, and we'd heard a story in La Crescenta about these two guys that went to Alaska got a job on a fishing boat. They worked their buns off, and the skipper at the end of the season just gave them each 500 bucks and said, see ya. Well, that wasn't a success story. <laughs> <clears throat> that wasn't something to really look forward to go there and do, but I was an optimist. I was somebody who, well, I'll just go make something happen. So I didn't look. My Actually, my first job that I accepted but didn't take the float plane out to the logging camp was to be a choke, choker setter. What and is a log, that? It's somebody who climbs around on logs and puts a metal um, cable around logs that have been fallen, mm-hmm. and then the highballer uh, up on the hill, I don't know if that's the correct term, but there was a high bell. The guy would create tension and bring this log up the hill and mm-hmm. stack it for the trucks to take it out to the mill. Well, I was sitting at a bar, the day before I was to go out, and somebody looked at me and said, you don't know, you're not from around here. Where are you from? I said, California. I got a job out at, uh, at the logging camp, and they said, oh, you're the guy that's got that job. <laughs> yeah, that kid got cut in half <laughs> by a choker setter. <laughs> oh. And I said, oh, really? So <laughs> Literally. Dodging a bullet. Half. In half. Oh, so I, I, I got my 47 Plymouth and right, went right down to the Alaska Marine Highway uh, ferry and got my butt on that and went to the next town, which was Wrangell. <laughs> so wow. I got off in Wrangell and I met Serena Stella, who was the baker's daughter. And she said, you might want to take a look at, at fishing. Uh, and just before I met her, I'd... I was down to my last 20 bucks. I'd already bought a ticket to go all the way through southeast Alaska, so I was going to keep going. I had canned goods to, to feed myself with, and I went to get on the ferry, and a carnival got off the ferry, and my truck was parked in, my car was parked in the parking lot, and the guy who came off was the leader of the band, and he said, uh, when I went up to him and said, I, I'd like to talk to you, he said, yes, uh, son, uh, is that your car? Could you move it? Um, yes, you can have a job. I worked for three days on a carnival and made $300, so now I had some money. Then I met Serena. She suggested fishing. It was season coming up. There was 10 saners in the harbor, the three best she named, and for seven days I went morning, noon, and night to those boats and asked for a job. The day before the vessels left to go fish, one of the kids decided to stay in town. And I got a job. Frank Warfel gave me a job on the MRS, and they were only going to use me for a couple of a couple of weeks until a local they could put a local into my spot. But I was so much fun; they could kid me, and I could kid them back. And I worked so hard, and I was funny. Yeah, that they, gets you a long way. They kept me. Yeah, that is crazy. When did you decide to stop fishing? When and how hard of a decision was that? My boys were going into high school in. Uh, 98 and uh, I told Frank I said you know I'd like to get out of fishing prices are dropping and I think I need to be home for my kids uh, more uh, do you think we could make some more wine how much wine were we, were we making we were making about 2,000 almost 2,000 cases bitty. so we started in 1991 at about 1,200 cases and had grown up to this two 
thousand cases. I remember that because that was the number that we were told uh, at the winery we made wine at, uh, Clendenin Linquist Vintners, mm-hmm. a Bon Climat Coupe winery, that if we wanted to be bigger, because they were at capacity, uh, that we couldn't stay there. And so, um, but we decided we were going to make more. And with the 2000 vintage, we made 2000 cases at a Bon Climat Coupe. Mm-hmm. And we made 2,000 cases up at Tally Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't know how we were going to sell. The deal we made, I said, listen, Gray, I, I, just, want, <laughs> I just want to make wine for my family's restaurant. Mm. I have a business here. I don't, I don't need a wine business, per se. Um, <laughs> my goal was to make wine for my family's restaurant. And, uh, and we were doing that. And, uh, but he wanted it to grow. And he needed, I, I, I could... He wanted, I think he, the way you expressed it, you know, um, fishing was uh, is one of the most dangerous occupations and in America. And it, it's, and it's really hard work. And Gray wanted a land-based business. Mm-hmm. He wanted off the water and, and on land. And to tell you the truth, from the time we first made wine, and we should, we should tell you that story, mm-hmm. it was always Gray's um, vision and dream. He was a dreamer. Huh. Uh, mm-hmm. I was always the practical one. I just wanted to make, first I just wanted to make wine. And I, I, I got this, see, when I came back from college and became, uh, worked with my brother, my mother taught me to uh, bartend and run the bar. So I was the bar manager, wine buyer, liquor buyer for the Casmalia uh, Hitching Post. And uh, I worked three days in the bar and two days in the kitchen to spell my brother. So at that point, my emphasis wasn't on the food. I had learned how to cook from my father on the grill. Um, I had learned how to cut meat. I'd worked from, a, you know, when I was um, a child, I used to go out in the daytime and work with my father. And then my dad would work all daytime, and then he'd go home and shower and and eat a, a very light dinner and go back to work to cook the night the wow. night shift. And and so I would go out in the day on the weekends uh, if I wasn't when we weren't in school, or in the summer I would go out uh, all the time, work with him in the day. But I couldn't stay at night because it's like you're too young to work. Mm. You have to be 12 years old to work. Oh, we're night. talking younger than 12. Oh, yes. This is when I'm five, between five oh, and okay. 12 years old. Okay, context. And, wow. And here's another telling uh, oh, aspect. We never dined in the restaurant. We were huh. too poor to eat in our own restaurant. We ate really? the scraps. We took them home and fried meats, and, and, and we, but we never went out for the steak dinner, at the, except once a year for... My sister and mine's birthday in August, we're nine days apart. Um, she's three years younger than me. We would get to go out once a year and bring one friend with us. And on my 12th birthday, I got to stay over afterwards and work the night shift. So that was my first night of working. I became a bus person mm-hmm. at a restaurant that did not have bussers. Uh, we had just waitresses that were like, coffee shop waitresses mm-hmm. that did everything all hands on deck yes kind of, yeah. and <laughs> that's what they were used to and uh, i became the first busser because i um and my dad would just give me two or three dollars at the end of the night hmm. um 
they didn't give tips or anything. They didn't know to share tips. There wasn't any standard for that restaurant. They just didn't do it, so I didn't get tips. And then a year later, I grew a little bit strong enough to to hold the, the a rack of dishes that I could put them inside the dishwasher and out and, and pull them out. And uh, I considered that I got a promotion to dishwasher, um, <laughs> which is the entry level job in the restaurant. Uh, always, uh, that's the bottom. That's where you start. Is I've been washing, the dishwasher, <laughs> washing dishes. <I> know. <laughs> but I thought it was a promotion because I got to be on the payroll. Yeah. And I got a oh, dollar wow. forty four an hour. So this, this was a privilege to do this, to be on the payroll, to be working at night. It was a real job yeah. compared to just a two or three dollars at the end of the night. I was getting a dollar forty four an hour. This would have been nineteen sixty four, nineteen sixty five. That was minimum wage then. Yeah. And so um but I saw my parents work way too hard and not have enough fun and I just didn't really want it. Um I went away to college and and then came back on a just first I thought it was going to be 2 years and became the wine buyer and I had been up in uh, Davis near Napa yeah. I had been to wineries and I had was growing a liking for wine and at a critical time up there things were just fomenting it was just the start of the wine business yeah. in all of California there was there wasn't 40 wineries in California or maybe less than 100 wineries in all of California, only 40 up in that region. Mm. And um, I got, uh, I came back here. It was the same time that vineyards were being planted. When I left for college in, in the early 70s, they had just started planting vineyards, and they were just coming into production in the mid-70s. And I got... Um, a, I decided I would learn a lot more about wine to buy for the restaurant and fell in love with the whole idea of what ha- is was happening in California in the back country. I mean, we went to Napa, but what was really impressive was Sonoma, mm-hmm. Mendocino County, the mm-hmm. the small farms, the small vineyards, yeah. the small wineries and the and the lifestyle that was conjured up by that. I came back and thought, well, we got to try to make wine. We got vineyards here. We need to make make wine. And I started calling my friends because I had access. Uh, um, Firestone Vineyard had extra grapes because they couldn't get their machine uh, through because of a, a reservoir was in the, in the way. And so there was these grapes. If you just want to go out and pick them, so I called my friends and everyone said homemade wine that's like rot gut and and i'm going no no this is table wine this is dry wines that go with food and and they thought i was crazy nobody nobody was interested in helping on a project like that. they didn't want to help nobody wanted they they just didn't even as a novelty to go out and and pick isn't that ridiculous i don't know people pay for that opportunity all my friends were so Frank calls me up. I He's had, like, I, had, I know someone. I barely know this guy. I barely know him. I'm the last resort kind last, of thing. I'm the last resort guy. He seems helpful. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank calls me up, and I, I don't think I was home but a day or two from fishing. And he says, hey, Gray, I, I've asked all my friends if they would come and help, and no one's interested in helping. Uh, I want to learn how to make wine. Frank, that sounds like fun. Uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, 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 bring, uh, I'll bring croissants to your house at 6 o'clock in the morning, and, and I can bring my girlfriend. 
my wife today of 40 years. Yeah. And she can come and help us. And, and I'll bring my dad. He can smoke cigars and tell jokes. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and I'll, I'll bring my Super the 8 movie. Yeah. I'll bring my Super <laughs> 8 movie camera. And we can take movies of us harvesting the fruit before the dew is off the vine. Oh, and great. Frank, I remember so Frank Gray didn't actually say all that stuff oh, right I did then. Too. But, but in his but, mind, but, it was all it, playing but out. But it was all, ha- it all happened. He's oh, telling he's telling it like yeah. like it really happened. So while I'm telling Frank this little soliloquy, or so I think I'm telling him, Frank always, he always <laughs> He's a fisherman. I've, I've listened to these stories for years. They keep getting bigger. You no, know, no, the, no, you can tell what a fisherman's lying. His lips are moving. Yeah. <laughs> So, but he's a good, he's a great storyteller. Yeah. He's way better a than me. You saw how he hijacked that story. I was yeah, I saw in that. the middle of it. He was taking a breath, and I grabbed it. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, the, you know, Greg came with his. I came with my. No, no, no. I just gonna. I just want to say, Greg came with his his girlfriend, right? Who ends up being his his wife, and uh, they of course celebrated forty years. Just. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and and we and Grace sent me this picture from the wedding, and I'm in the picture, wait, wait, and it's wait, like, you are shoot, where are you? Are you all the way to the left? I'm to the right of the, you know. The, oh, there you the, are. This that, bearded weirdo in this yeah, group. Oh, yeah. oh, this is hiding so back. Looked funny. like he had sunglasses what? on. What? And there's other people I know. Yeah. 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 Can I? Is it okay to post sure, this sure. picture? Okay. Oh, isn't that isn't that sweet? Gray just sent me that last week because it, it yeah. was his anniversary on, on the third. Yeah, fun times. So yeah. I said, <clears throat> I'll take Super Eight movies of us harvesting the fruit before the dew is off the vine, and Frank calls out as I'm my recollection or my romantic recollection. He calls back to Casey in the background and says. Casey, we finally found a live one. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> Which is probably what I said for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. we were excited to, you and know. It, uh, and in our tasting room, right next door to the Hitching Post here, at 420 East Highway 246, mm-hmm. there are four stills from that Super 8 movie uh, wow. on the wall showing Frank and I. I was 29. Frank was 27. I seven, think. Yeah. yeah, two years apart. And uh, my dad's uh, so smoking a cigar and mm. picking fruit and our little press that we bought and a fermenter that we fermented in. Do you remember what we fermented in? We were in plastic uh, garbage cans, 33-gallon yeah. um, garbage new, cans. New, new ones. They were Off-gassing new. <laughs> <laughs> into the wine. Yeah, That's yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> Was it good? So that that is a problem with new material yes, plastics, right. the yeah. off-gassing, you know, which I hope, you know, I don't know. But did wine, it turn out, the wine? The wine was delicious. Yeah. Really? It was a Merlot. Um, we, we've, so I remember talking to um, Norm Delures from ZD Winery in Sonoma, who was a, a, a popular winery at the t- at the time, still are. There's, their family still makes wine, ZD Winery. Mm-hmm. And he says, you don't need one of these fancy barrels. You just need a, a whiskey barrel. That's, you know, mm-hmm. we use mostly whiskey barrels. So he, he told me a place in San Francisco, a warehouse in south of, Mar- of Market, where you could, I could go and I could get a barrel for $25. Oh, so that's what I did. I went and, and they still, it still had some whiskey in it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of preserved the barrel. So you rinse it out and then you fill it, put this wine in it. And we, we were aging this wine. It was delicious. Then we heard about this stuff called French oak. 
and we bought a, a new barrel. You scraped together some money. 300 bucks. 300 we bought bucks. this yeah. new barrel, and then we put the, the wine. This is a year after it was made. We put the wine in there, and, and we never do. We never put new... We never put old wine into a new barrel. You always put new wine into a new barrel, and there's a reason for that. We didn't know it then, and it, so um, new wine, old, older wine in a new barrel, clean wine in a new barrel picks up the oak really quickly. So we, we left it in there only for two or three weeks, and then we took it out and bottled it. And um, you know, it turned out to be fine. It had this oak character. Um, uh, it was delicious. Uh, everybody we showed it to loved it, and it's like. You know, there's there's potential here. I always just wanted to do it in my family's restaurant. I, I figured there was money to be made. And following the traditions of Europe where people have restaurants and they make wine and have it on the table, that was just a dream, a dream of mine. And that's kind of all I ever wanted to do. But Gray had bigger aspirations well, from the beginning. Well, I was telling Frank, and I, romantic or not, this is how my memory perceives and experienced that conversation saying i'll bring the croissants in the background of my mind i'm rolling a reel of mm -hmm. me selling wine around the world i'm mm -hmm. dreaming that big mm -hmm. because without dreams you don't have anything i dreamt that i could go to alaska and get a job mm -hmm. i dreamt that if i fished eight months out of the year i could make a living to be able to buy a house and provide for a wife when i got married mm -hmm. and be able to buy boat permits and boats and fish in alaska and in california mm -hmm. And with that dream, with those dreams, things have gotten me a lot farther than had I not yeah. had them. You're an entrepreneur. Well, you both are, yeah. really. I yeah. I want to come back to. I love that you saw potential for that European model where a restaurant mm -hmm. makes its own wine, but you're doing it within a, a ranching community. The cattle here, you know, there's a long, strong history with barbecue here. So you were kind of marrying two things and making it uniquely central coast yeah so i grew up in that uh, barbecue restaurant the uh what we call barbecue here is grilling open grilling of mostly beef but we do chicken and fish and everything including a lot of vegetables on the grill so we do an open fire um it can be done outdoors but in the restaurant we do it indoors and we've been doing this for 67 years i learned it from my father um and we've continued to develop the cuisine. Uh, we understand it to be an indigenous style of cooking uh, mm -hmm. to this part of California. Um, part of it was brought here by the Spanish, the ironwork grill that we use. And while we think we're unique because we have this special oak wood that is um, indigenous to this part of California, and we burn a fire in a specific way to get a certain smoke flavor and we season with basic salt, pepper, and garlic. But uh, it turns out that this style of cooking is done all over the world. And uh, mm -hmm. cooking over wood is, um, is just the first way of cooking food and, um, and one of the most enjoyable ways to, uh, you know, people are always either, either attracted to the kitchen where they, cooking is happening or in our situation we're often cooking outside yeah. and people are attracted to the fire we're as a as humans attracted to fire and to the cooking over a fire um we um we often say that you know we do this really hot fire and if, if you 
can't stand the heat, go back to the kitchen because yeah. the cook, the heat's here and the action's here yeah. for what we do. And of course, in the restaurant, it's all done indoors. So the kitchen, the fire is in the kitchen mm-hmm. and, it, and very specific, uh, the ability to view it from the dining room, which yeah, is really, special. really special and very, the people just admire the, the art and craft that we're doing and and never can really understand how we sort it all out because of course in the restaurant we're cooking every table separately Mm -hmm. every person orders a separate thing to a certain temperature and that has to all be all come out and be delivered i remember when my father when it was going to be time for me to grill uh he wanted to teach me when i was 16 years old and and i was too scared and i Mm -hmm. said i won't i i can't do it i just can't do this and so he taught, uh, he only, he didn't have anybody else to cook. So he taught a waitress that had been a waitress for 40 years. Mm-hmm. And she didn't know how to cut meat or anything else, but he taught her how to cook so that he could take a night off. Mm-hmm. And I would go in and prep all the, uh, get all the meat ready, cut all the steaks, and then stay for a while to see if anything else needed cutting. And she would cook, and I thought, man, if Hilda can do it, I can do it. And so I remember it was like December 30th, um, and I must be 17 years old, and uh, and my dad's going to, it's going to be my first night on the grill. And and it was going to be a very slow night. And the next night, New Year's Eve, busiest night of the year. Hmm. Um, my dad was, you know, sort of really tired, and so he's going to have me on the grill and at five o'clock when the doors open and there's nobody no customers yet and it's he thinks we're going to do maybe 20 dinners Mm. and he looks at me he says frank you can do this i'm so Mm. tired i'm gonna go home Mm. and so he left he left me there by myself stinker (laughs) and i and i had never cooked a steak to order on that grill to for anybody never once you mean you just watched your dad i just watched my father do it and you don't realize what you learn from watching Mm -hmm. and how much you actually know Mm -hmm. you never really know what you know until you have to teach it yeah you know you have to express it and uh, that was a great learning experience for me when I when I did that. So anyway, we did forty eight dinners that night. We did more than twice as many as we uh, uh, thought. And I thought I was in the weeds, and mm-hmm. apparently I did okay. But that it's like, wow! I, there's so much you learn over the years. Just huh? it's in this innateness, and then mm-hmm. until you teach it, you can't even express what it is because you have to invent the words. Yeah. to uh, to explain what you know and mm-hmm. and do it's like soul searching to understand what your craft is now i teach it uh, we do we do classes and we teach oh, the I grilling something called barbecue boot camp at the alisol oh, guest ranch yes i did know about that which yeah. is very cool it's very cool yeah and uh, and i'm willing to teach everything i know nowadays yeah um i know i i'm trying to keep this brief which is hard because you have both lived such full lives and then together your partnership is really full but i it wouldn't be right to end an interview without talking about sideways and the impact that it's had on your business um 
I know that a lot's been said about it. I'm trying to think of what I could even ask that no one else has ever asked, but um, you did mention cooking for the Oscar party. What was that like? Well, when we, um, so we, we, we knew that Sideways was in, was nominated for an Oscar. And so we thought we would throw in a, um, a party here at the restaurant. So we did a benefit. We ra- we raised $10,000 for direct relief, a charity that we've supported for many years in Santa Barbara. And they, they provide medical supplies uh, across the United States and around the world for people that are in disasters or in everyday situations where they don't have medicine Fantastic. or medical supplies. Yeah. And for every dollar we give, $40 of supplies get gets moved around the world. Amazing. And so it's pretty cool. Our little $10,000 could be times 40 times. Um, mm-hmm. And so we, um, God, it was such a crazy time because I, I even went down to L.A. and appeared on some pre-Oscar television shows uh, to uh, pr- help promote. And then, and then we, we had a lot of media attention locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, matter of fact, we were on CBS Sunday Morning with, um, what's his name? What, what's the name of the man that would do the Oscar shows? I, uh, every... Every year he he's he's retiring because he's older now. Yeah. But he's one of the reporters that he would do a Oscar feature every year, and the Oscar feature was our region, wow. and our and, a, and specifically our restaurant. And they came a week before Oscars, and it turned out that there was a bus tour stopping by, and we got to go out and pour wine inside the bus because we wouldn't let him in the restaurant. We don't. We don't accept buses. <laughs> yeah, well, so, they can be gnarly. And then we had um, they we poured we're, we're pouring Bill Geist the the mm-hmm. the the uh, newsman, um, the reporter. Um, he interviewed us, and she, you know we were pouring 2003 Hitching Post Highliner, which we had just bottled. This is 2005 during the Oscar time, and you know for us to. Um, this all kind of came on between October of 2004 when the movie was released to March of 2005 when Oscars was happening. And this slow growing of uh, no, notoriety and newsworthiness. Um, and we had, you know, Associated Press people here, uh, NBC Nightly News, uh, uh, Everybody was here. Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, it was um, huge. The, the trucks in the back of the parking lot with the satellite dishes and all the cables and lights and we had monitor television monitors in every room so no matter where you were you could watch the Oscars and we had a blast. Frank had all these wonderful foods available and all the wines that were in the movie from our region were brought here and we had a instead of a red carpet we had a white carpet with pinot noir stains on it red wine stained carpet yes and the mention of the hitching post restaurant four five six eight times in the movie um uh, shots of the of the sign outside with paul giamatti uh standing there wondering if he should go into the restaurant or not um what Mm. a you know i don't know it's hard for me because it was so personal and so much about us that but but i don't think i've ever seen a product placement business promotion 
that that anybody would pay big dollars for ever done never ever take over a movie like this mm-hmm. and the the love of wine and what it means each differently to each individual one fun thing about when they were filming here the end of the first night alexander payne you know when they say at the end of the of a shooting they say that's a wrap well alexander said that's a martini and so everybody retired to the bar where frank had wonderful appetizers and we were pouring highliner and uh, the second night when he goes to say that's a wrap or that's a martini he goes that's a highliner and so for the rest of the filming that's what they said at the end of the day yeah we realized we would never wake up not knowing that our lives had changed and we fought to not let anything change us we fought to maintain who we were and i think we've done a really good job of that our wine brand grew from from that 4,000 cases that we aspired to make in the early 2000s to very quickly 15,000 cases by 2006, shortly after the movie, and then now it's up to almost 20,000. I always ask the people that I talk to about their what would be your last meal, and it's not in a negative or morbid way, but just if you were going to end things on a good note, what would you eat? Well, you know, having grown up in this business of uh, very simple preparation, cooking uh, proteins over a wood fire, I think I would just take the best beef steak we could find, and um, and that that'd be it. For me, it's better. I mean, it's the combination of everything. You know, having one of our older bottles of wine. We love our our Pinot Noirs when they get age on them, mm-hmm. and so getting a twenty year old Pinot Noir with decent decent food is all all you really need, you know. Mm. So it's more about enjoying the 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 wine, the food, and the people you're with yeah. um, all together. Mm-hmm. It's what's made me want to be in this business was the fact that you could share all this, all this, uh, so that it's way more important than any one of the parts. Um, but all together, they make an experience and and. Uh, that that you know can make it's made our lives mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know it's fun to celebrate that yeah my last meal yes would be sockeye salmon mm. with uh, fried rice with uh, green onions in the rice and uh, little pieces of garlic English muffin toasted wow you've thought about this. Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> this is the weirdest meal. T- tomatoes. <laughs> just a few capers. Mm-hmm. And two scrambled eggs with the fried rice and the so, sockeye salmon. Let me guess. I bet you had that on a boat, mm. on your fishing boat in Alaska more than once. My native Alaska clinket friend who fished with me many years Johnny Johnny Boy Feller said to me Gray you need to eat the flesh of what you hunt and fish for so you can become one with their spirit and so I would have the tail 
section of the fillet because that is what works the hardest on the fish mm. and is the to richest. Work hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was my breakfast every morning when I fished on the west coast on Noise Island, on Noise Island fishing for sockeye. That was what I did as my morning breakfast. It was a ritual. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you for joining me and mm-hmm. for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. We'll have to do it again. We Let's barely again. talked about our <laughs> wine business and what we do and where we're at and where we've been and where we're going. I so, know. We'll have to have a part yeah. two. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Thank Frank. You. Thank you, Gray. Thank you, Jim. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. And be sure to support the good folks who join me each episode. To learn more about any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.